Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, today's message. Our text from last week was Romans 1.5. There was four little words at the end of this text that I did not read uh, on purpose because I knew that this sermon and those four little words needed special attention. So today we're going to be focusing on the first, or excuse me, the last four uh, words of Romans 1.5. And if you can turn in your Bibles, we'll read that together. We can start uh, from the beginning. It says, through him... We receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. That's what we learned about last week. But what we're going to be talking about this week is right here at the end. For his name's sake. Everybody say, for his name's sake. So last week, we, we studied one uh, transliteration of grace, which was God's power and we had three application, which is God's power to overcome sin in my life, God's power to empower me to do ministry, and God's power which enables me to do good works. So the, the power of God that he gives us through Jesus Christ enables us to live the Christian life, to do all the things that we had listed there. But the big question that remains is why? Why would God make everything dependent upon his grace through faith? Why? Well, I mean, why, God? Because how many kid, uh, people have children, young children, or have had young children? When they get to a certain age, three maybe, four, they have this question about everything. Why? How many people have tried to pull their hair out? Going, oh my God, just stop asking me that question. Why? Hey, why? Why is the sky blue? Why is the, you know, I mean, every question has a why to it. And it's okay to ask why sometimes. And we ask that of God. Why would you send your son? Why would you do all of this Wrap it up all in the person of Jesus Christ and make it all dependent on faith in him. Why? Well, I'm going to attempt to answer the why question. And we know right there at the end, it was for his name's sake. But there's more to it. Sometimes you have to look at the how to understand the why. So this morning, we're going to look a little bit at the how and expand upon the why. There's several questions that I think we need answered so that we know how to live our lives and follow Christ in this covenant of grace. In order to do that, we have to begin to understand a, a theological perspective. And as a teacher and as a, as a youth pastor here for many years, if you ever spent any time in my youth group, you know that I always go back to the beginning. The law of first mention. You know, if you want to find out the foundation of something, you always go back to the beginning. So we're going to go back 
just a little bit to get a theological perspective of the why and the how, or really the how of God, how God is going to do this, so that we can understand the why. So in Genesis 1, it says, God created the heavens and the earth. When God created the heavens and the earth, he did it, in the Latin word there is ex nihilo, which means from nothing. That he spoke into existence our universe, the matter that makes up our universe. The stars, the sun, the moon, the planet, everything, God spoke it into existence from nothing. And that is a, is a starting place that we have to understand. In the beginning, the beginning of what? Well, the beginning of our own reality. It's not God's reality. Because you understand that there's a, there's a spiritual reality that takes place, uh, a heaven reality that is infinite. God existed before our timeline ever began. He's infinite. So God creates by an act of his own will. He creates the heavens and the earth. And he starts to reveal something to us in doing that. Primarily, who he is. In Genesis 1, it says, in the beginning, God. The first word in the Bible for God is Elohim, which means creator. So God reveals right there in the first sentence of this book that he is the creator God. All-powerful can speak into existence planets and stars. So that's what he does. And then he creates man. And he puts man in the garden, and he says, everything that you see, I want you to rule over. It all belongs to you. It's yours. So I want you to think for a second and, and, and picture this. So God, the creator, creates everything. He creates man. He creates woman. He creates the fish and the, and the plants and everything. And he sets Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He says, everything that is, is in here is, is for you to eat and it's good. Just don't eat of that tree. And in essence, what God does is he gives Adam, his right to rule over the earth. He, he sets it all into motion. He creates it. He builds it. And then he starts to develop a relationship with Adam and Eve. And then he says, rule over it. It's yours. So he gave his authority to Adam. When the serpent comes and tempts them, tempts Eve, and Adam, well, what does he do? He subjugates himself underneath the authority of Satan. See, what's taking place here is so key to our understanding of everything that God is doing. Because since, I want you to think for a second, if a conquering king goes into a land and he conquers a kingdom, then the king of that land who you know, gives up, he says, I give up, right? Then whose authority, he has the authority to rule that land, correct? So whose authority is it now to rule that land? The conquering king. So this king subjects himself underneath the other king's authority. And that's what happened in the Garden of Eden. Adam 
subjected himself by sinning underneath Satan's authority. And now the right to rule the earth was given to Satan. So what we have here is this theological perspective that the, well, we know that the earth and everything in it belongs to God, but the right to rule it, which God gave to Adam, now belongs to Satan. So how is God going to get it all back? Well, he reveals the plan. First mention, Genesis 3.14. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn into Genesis 3.14. Adam and Eve have sinned. They hid themselves. God called for them. They said, we're ashamed, we're naked. He said, who told you you were naked? And then he starts to deal with their sin. And in verse 14, it says, The Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your... uh, He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. In other translations, it says you'll bruise his heel, and he'll crush your head. I like that one personally. I like the crushing part. God reveals it. His plan begins to unfold. And the theological perspective that I'm coming from is what's called progressive revelation. See, there's some theological perspectives that say that God revealed himself in a certain way during this time period or dispensation and then this dispensation and this dispensation. But I I ascribe to progressive revelation where God reveals himself progressively throughout the entire Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. And this is where he starts to reveal his plan, Genesis 3.14. I think in your notes it says 16, that was a typo. So Genesis 3.14, God says, here we go. I'm going to start revealing myself and my plan to you. And there's ways that he goes about doing that. And one of the ways that he goes about doing that is to reveal who he is by his name. So throughout the Old Testament, they, that God reveals himself to the Israelites through different names. Elohim, the creator um, then he goes into the Jehovah's, which is you know Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Sipkenu. I mean, if you ever do a study of all the names of God, God reveals Himself through His name. And they had an understanding in the Old Testament, in in the lands, the pagan lands of those days. They had an understanding that all they had to do was worship the name of a God and it would give them some type of power or authority. So when one army would stand on this side of the cliff, and and the other army would stand on this side, and then they are going to meet down in the middle to battle, what were they doing? Well, why don't you all just get to it? No, they had to take their time, and they had to call on the name of this God and the name of that God so that they would have power to overcome their enemy. So these names that were these, the pagan uh, tribes ascribed to, we know as demons, right? We know that they are false gods. 
But it was always God's intent and always his heart to establish his name, that his name would be known throughout all the earth. So when the Israelites called on the name of their God, he showed up and he rescued them over and over again. As God reveals himself throughout the entire Old Testament, we know from the previous sermons that I preached that the accumulation of all of what God wanted to do, all of his grace, all of his favor, all of his loving kindness is wrapped up in the person and in the name of Jesus Christ. Now somebody can say amen. We have to start there. We have to have that theological perspective to really embrace grace. So I'm going to take a look at a couple places uh, of the how God went about doing this. And in Daniel 7, uh, 13, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Daniel 7, 13, this is not the, necessarily the first place, but it's a good place. I like this one. This is one of my favorites. Daniel prophesies about Christ, the coming king. And if you'll read with me, it says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, the clouds of heaven. One like the Son of Man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days, and he presented himself to him. And to him he was given dominion and glory, a kingdom that all people, nations, men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. So God reveals another part of his plan right here. He does it through Jeremiah. He does it through other prophets. But Daniel sees a picture, uh, and I want you to really pay attention to what he says. I saw one like the Son of Man approaching the Ancient of Days. So if you will, think about what's going on here. This is a vision that Daniel's seeing that a man, a son of man? How could a son of man approach God? So Daniel gives him this vision. The only way for someone to approach God is to be God, to be worthy of it, right? God begins to reveal his plan to make Jesus Christ the name, the image of him. So Daniel prophesies about it. Jesus testifies to it. Now this is, this is one of my favorite parts of scripture because I can just see it happening. It's so cool. So if you'll turn to Matthew 26, 64. Jesus testifies to what Daniel's vision said when he's questioned before the Sanhedrin. We know that they all hated Jesus and they wanted to, to get rid of him because he was, they felt like he was uh, stirring up trouble and, and saying things that you know, were against God's word and so on and so forth, really trying to question their authority and their, their rule. So they plot against Jesus and they, they bring him before the Sanhedrin for questioning. And in... 
let's see, let's back up just a little bit, and let's go to verse 62. It says, the high priest stood up and said to him, because Jesus wasn't answering any of their questions, do you not answer? What is, what is it that men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. He said, are you the son of God? So he brought all these witnesses to testify against Jesus. So this is like a legal proceeding, although it was illegal because it was done that night and not all the Sanhedrin were there. That's just a sidebar. He says, aren't you going to speak up for yourself? Are you the son of God? He says, it is as you have said. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They answered, he deserves death. They spat in his face and beat him with their fists. Why would the high priest tear his robe and just and blow up like that? Because of what Jesus said. It wasn't that he's, he claimed to be the son of God right off the bat. It's because he said this, Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. He's referring back to Daniel's vision. And the Sanhedrin, the, the high priest, couldn't take it. He's like, he rips his robe, which was illegal to do. He rips his robe, and he's like, blasphemy. You heard it from his own mouth. He's, he's saying that he's going to be able to approach the Ancient of Days and sit down at the right hand of power, and that when he comes back, he'll be coming back in the clouds. The only person that could do that is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So Jesus reveals he testifies to what Daniel revealed in the Old Testament. Daniel prophesied about it. Jesus testifies about it, of himself. Because by what greater name could somebody testify but by, by God? And then in Matthew 27, this is, this is pretty cool. I like this section of Scripture. In Matthew 27, we know that Jesus is then crucified. He's, he's on the cross. He's looking to heaven. And this is, this is what happens. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and, and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were open and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Did you guys catch that? When Jesus died and he yielded up his spirit, he said it's finished. When the work was completed on the cross, the tombs 
of those that had died in faith that we had learned about, like Abraham, opened up and the dead came out. That's cool. I'd like to have seen that. <laughs> How many people would have liked to have been there to see that? That'd be awesome. Tombs rolling away. People that were dead, now they're alive. They're walking out. They haven't, it's kind of like when Jesus came out of the tomb, he told Mary, don't touch me. I haven't been glorified yet. Haven't gone up to the Father. So these, these uh, people had come out of the tombs. They're walking around. And after the resurrection, they go into the city and the dead testify about the name of Jesus Christ. The power that is in his name. See, we have to understand that God is establishing a kingdom based on the power of his, of his own image. The power that is in his name. It's a name that is above all names. And it has power and authority. Jesus fulfills, after he testifies it, about it, he fulfills it in his demonstration of power by the resurrection from the dead and of the dead. The dead rose with him. That's pretty cool. I was uh, over in Saudi Arabia. I was a young man. I was 19 years old. And, and many of you have heard my testimony about how I gave my life to Christ uh, during the Gulf War. You know, I had gone to church and I had, um, you know, gave my life to Christ and tried to live for him, but you know, I was still chasing the flesh, just put it simply. I mean, I was, I'd ask God to forgive me on Sunday, but do whatever I want, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Pastor Michael said, uh, my faith, you know, people during the week, our faith le our le leaks. <laughs> like a bucket with holes in it, and it just kind of leaks out. And that's, that's the way I was living my life. But, at that point, in a minefield in Iraq, I, I said, okay, God, if you get me out of this, I'll serve you the rest of my life. I know you've been calling me. I know you have a calling on my life. I know the truth. I just wasn't living it. I had head knowledge, but not heart knowledge. So I gave my life to Christ, and you know, we had come back, and we were back in the garrison uh, in Saudi Arabia waiting to leave, and I had made this decision for Christ, and um, I started sharing my story with other soldiers. And there was a young guy in our unit. Um, he was kind of on the fence. He, he had an understanding of spiritual things, but he didn't really know which way to go with it. So I was trying to lead him and, and win him for Christ. At the same time, there was another guy in my unit that was into witchcraft, into Wicca. And so he, at the same time, was trying to recruit this, my friend, into Wicca while I was trying to convert him into Christianity. It got ugly. So the guy in the witchcraft, he comes up to me and he says, hey, look. He said, you better stop telling him that witchcraft is evil and, you know, this, that, and the other thing because they kind of have an idea that it's like white witchcraft, right? He says, you better stop telling him that and stop trying to win him for Christ because he's one of my disciples. I said, well, I don't know who you are, but I serve a God, his name's Jesus Christ. And that young man belongs to him, not you. He says, if you don't stop trying to win him for Christ, I'm going to curse you. 
I didn't know a lot, but I knew a little, <laughs> enough to get me in trouble. And I'm a curious kind of guy. You ask my mom, my favorite book for her to read to me when I was little was Curious George. So I looked at the guy and I said, oh, really? How are you going to do that? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, if you're going to curse me, I want to know how you're going to curse me. He said, well, I'm going to draw this this circle on the ground. and I'm going to put the star thing in it. And I'm going to put these elements at the points of the star. And I'm going to get in the middle of it. And I'm going to conjure up a, a spirit. I said, okay. Then what? <laughs> he says, then I'm going to ask the spirit to, to curse you and come in and, and kill you or hurt you. I'm like, really? Do you think he's going to do it? He said, yeah, he's going to do it. And I'm like, why? (laughs) He said, because I've asked him to. I'm like, what do you mean? You think he's going to do it for free? He don't want something in return? And he said, no. He said, uh. As long as I'm in the circle and I got these elements at the points, I'm protected. <laughs> I started cracking up. I was like, what are you talking about? You're protected. You think that a natural element's going to protect you against a supernatural being? Are you crazy? <laughs> I said, I'll tell you what. You go ahead and do your little curse. I'll believe that I am sealed by the name and the blood of Jesus Christ, and we'll see what happens. So he went out and late at night one night and did his little thing out there in the desert and <laughs> did his little seance and he cursed me. And man, just things just started getting better and better and better for me. Because you know what happens when you, about sidebar, you know what happens when you curse somebody and, and you curse somebody that's not curseable? Curse goes back to you. There's power in the tongue. There's power of life and death in the tongue. Better be careful who you're cursing. So he calls on the name of this this demon. I call on the name of of Christ. And after the war was over, and I didn't tell this in the first service, but after the war was over, he he really had a hard time. (laughs) And one day he came to me and he said, look, man, I want to apologize. For all that he said my world has just been just devastated he said could you tell me about Jesus and he came to church with me so I had the the young surfer dude that I was witnessing to a witchcraft dude on my right and a surfer dude on my left and I was praising worship Jesus <laughs> you know and 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 they both came to Christ that's pretty cool because there's power in the name. That's the whole plan. See, Jesus had this plan that he revealed to establish his name above all other names. To establish his image in Christ Jesus above all other images. And it's all tied up in the name of Jesus. We have to have that theological perspective. That understanding of God's plan before we can ever begin to embrace grace. 
The covenant of grace. It's God makes all of our salvation and all of our ministry and all of our obedience dependent upon grace and makes all of our salvation and ministry and obedience the fruit of faith in grace because the giver gets the glory. If God gives us the power to do it and we do it in his name, then he gets the glory and we get the help. Do you hear that? If, we do, if I get up here and I preach under my own power, my own charisma, my own whatever, and I don't give God the glory, then I retain the glory. I got news for you. You were never designed to retain the glory that was meant for God. You want to know what's wrong with all of our athletes and all of our famous people and all of our actors and everything? And why they do drugs and why they're miserable and why their lives are falling apart even though they got all this money? Because they want the glory for themselves. And if I had me a box, I could get up on it. Me a soapbox around here. It's because we were never designed to retain it. Everything, all of human existence, was created and designed so that God's name would be known throughout all time and all in all realities. That He would pour out His love, and that we would come to understand the depths of His love through our own depravity. I. This is just, this came to me in between services. Paul talks about this in Romans. He says, what if God did all this just so that you would know the depths of his love? Wow. Because if we were perfect and we had never been allowed to sin and we had never been separated from God, we wouldn't value his redemption. Did you catch that? If I wasn't made aware of my own depravity, I would never value the gift that God gave me, his grace. And Paul makes that argument in Romans 9. And if Paul... In, in referencing this scripture, if Paul relied on himself to serve as an apostle, and if the effect of his ministry was to bring about the obedience of works, not of the obedience of faith among the Gentiles, the name of Christ would not be praised. Paul would be. See, that's why he was so adamant that we understood that it wasn't his gifting, it was the grace of God that empowered him and empowered his gifting to give God the glory. The giver of power and the enabler of obedience gets the glory. Here's, here's how Peter puts it, four, um, 1 Peter 4.11. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. 
to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. You see how clearly Paul makes the connection? God gets the glory for our service. If God gives the grace for our service, remember I said we respond in like kind? God gives us the glory, or excuse me, gives us the power. We respond by giving him the glory. God gets the glory for our service. If God gives the grace for our service, and if we serve by faith in that grace and the strength of that grace and not of our own. So one of the last questions that people ask about this, so once you understand that God did all of this, he created a reality, the reality of mankind, of, of this universe to reveal himself and to establish his name. Once you understand that, then the other question is, well, that's pretty conceited. Why would God do that? If he was a loving God, would he really set himself up to be this like all-powerful creator God and put his name above all other names? Well, when I was in uh, New York a few years back, Lord help me, y'all should have seen me. I was driving a 15 passenger. I'd never been in New York. I mean, I'm from Iowa, y'all. Okay, look. Then I lived in the South down here. So 15 passenger van with a bunch of kids in it, teenagers in it. How many people went on that missions trip? Who was it? Anybody in here? No, Miss Lee was in here. She, Devin was on that trip. Devin will remember this. Man, I was like, and New York was crazy, Mr. Lee. And Jordan was following me, so we had two cars, like in tandem, going all through New York. And we went to this thing called the New York School of Urban Ministry. And then you, you stay there in this old hospital. I think it was like a hospital that they turned into a dorm in this facility in, in New York. And then you go out and you do ministry. And so we took, we took groups of kids out, and we had like a, a guide that, that took us to different places. And we did ministry in like an AIDS hospital, and we uh, ministered and prayed for people that had hepatitis. And, man, I was so blown away by the expression of love that came out of those kids. When a lady would ask, look, I'm about ready to get out, and you know, I, I almost died because of my crack addiction. And I want, <laughs> she said, I want you to pray that the crack man don't get me. She said, because I know that if I, and she had AIDS, and, and she got hit by a car, and she was in the hospital, in this AIDS hospital, recovering from this uh, uh, accident. And she said, will you pray that the crack man don't get me? Because I know if he gets me, I'm a dead woman. So we were in New York. We were praying for these people. and I mean, doing street ministry at, at Grand Central Station and down in that area. And we were, we were out there doing it. And these kids were doing it on the subways, preaching the gospel. And this young tour guide, he was going to Bible college, and his name was, was Justin. And in the van one day, he was my guide, and he started asking me all these questions about God and God's plan and, and I mean, a lot of what we're talking about here today, but also predestination. And, 
And he says, you, and I started explaining all this to him. And he says, you mean to tell me that, that uh, it's God's grace that by, by which I'm saved? Yes. So the only way I can get God's grace is if I have faith. Yes. But the faith comes from God. Yes. Grace comes from God. Yes. So you mean there's nothing that I can do or have done to, to earn God's favor? Yes. Now you got it. <laughs> he couldn't get it. He was like, I can't believe this. Well, that doesn't make sense. You mean if it's, if it's all up to God, then it doesn't have anything to do with me. It has to do with God. I said, yes. God chose you long before you chose him. Grace comes from God. Faith to believe comes from God. His choice is sovereign. <laughs> this kid was upset, Devin. You remember that? He, was, he could not wrap his head around it. He was freaking out. I mean, we went into the wee hours of the night. I was trying to explain this to him. And he's like, it's just a crapshoot then. That's what he said. It's just a crapshoot. And I'm like, no. It's the sovereign choice of God. Because his name will be known. And he will make his name known in your life. And Romans gives us an answer to the question. Is he loving? Well, a God that does that, is he loving? Romans uh, thir- uh, 10.13 says... Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So yes, it is loving of God to push his own name and his own glory because everyone who calls on the name, that name will be saved. For him not to spread and exalt his name as the only hope would be an unloving God. Guys, catch that. I'll make it parental. Now the Bible says that if you don't discipline your children, you don't love them. If God didn't exalt his own name, we would never have a name to call on to save us from our own sin. If he didn't establish his name for his his own name's sake, then we would have nothing to call upon for salvation. So yes, he is a loving God. The second answer is given in Romans 5, 2. It says where Paul says that while we stand in grace by faith, we exalt in hope of the glory of God. In other words, the glory of God is our hope and our salvation and our exaltation, our joy. We don't just call on the name of the Lord to get something. We call on the name of the Lord so that everything that separates us from the Lord will be overcome by the grace of God and we will have access to the Lord himself. We exalt in hope of the glory of God. Therefore, it is loving for God to make the name of God, that is the glory of God, the goal of all of his grace because this is the goal of all of our longings. It is loving for him to do this. We exalt in the hope of the glory of God. Is that your longing this morning? Do you long 
to see his name being made known? What if God endured all your sin, all your stubbornness, all of my stubbornness? Look at your neighbor and say, hard head. (laughs) What if God endured all of our hard-headedness so that he could bring us to a place where he could show us his love and that we would surrender our hearts to him and his name would be made known through us. I want to read you something. This is a book called Radical by David Platt. If you haven't read this, I got this from my son, Devin. This is strong. I want to read you a story. I think we've got time. Yeah, we've got time. He says, I was in Indonesia in the country with the largest Muslim population in the world, teaching in an Indonesian seminary. Before they graduated, the student in the seminary are required to plant a church and have at least 30 new baptized believers in a Muslim community. Okay, you can't graduate Bible college until you plant a church in a Muslim community and convert 30 Muslims. That's, can you say dangerous? <laughs> so all these, all these graduates have done this. Every one of them had fulfilled the church planning requirement. The most solemn part of the day was the moment of silence of the two of their classmates who had died at the hands of Muslim protesters or persecutors. It was a privilege getting to know these students and listening to their stories. One brother, Raiden, shared his testimony. With a fiery look in his eye and an intense tone in his voice, he said, before I became a Christian, I was a fighter. I learned ninjutsu. And a variety of other techniques for taking people down. I nodded. I was making a mental note. Don't mess with Raiden. He continued, one day I was sharing the gospel in an unreached village with people who had never heard of Jesus. I was in one house sharing Christ with a family and a witch doctor from the village came to the house. Witch doctors and magic were common in the village like, villages like these. They hold sway over an entire community with their curses and their incantations. The witch doctor called me out, Raiden said. He wanted me to fight him. Raiden smiled as he confessed. My first thought was to walk out there and take the witch doctor down. But when I turned to go outside, the Lord told me that I no longer needed to do the fighting. God would do the fighting for me. So Raiden walked outside, pulled up a chair, and sat down in front of the witch doctor. He's like, okay, I'm just going to pull me up a chair, see what happens. Raiden recounted what happened, or he told the witch doctor, I don't do, I don't do fighting, my God does the fighting for me. Raiden recounted what happened next, 
As the witch doctor attempted to speak, he began to gasp for air. He was choking on his own words and couldn't breathe. People came running to see what was wrong. And within a few minutes, the witch doctor had fallen over dead. By now, the entire village had crowded around the scene. Raiden said, I had never seen anything like this, and I didn't know what to do. But then the thought came to me, I guess this is a good time to preach the gospel. Raiden smiled and said, so that's what I did, and many people in the village trusted in Christ for the first time that day. Now, I am not recommending this as a new church growth model. (laughs) Making pronouncements on people that lead to their death just doesn't seem like the best way to go about things. But this story was a clear reminder to me that 2,000 years ago, when believers proclaimed the name of Jesus, it caused the blind to see and the lame to walk and the dead to rise. The name of Jesus had the power to cause evil spirits to flee and to bring the most hardened hearts to God. And the reality is, 2,000 years, the power of Jesus' name is still great. The question for us, then, is whether we trust in his power. And the problem for us is that in our culture, we are tempted at every turn to trust in our own power instead. So the challenge for us is to live in such a way that we are radically dependent and desperate for the power that is only God, that only God can provide. They understood something. God did all of it. So his name, the name of Jesus Christ, would be known throughout the earth. Established and seated at the right hand of God in power the king of an everlasting kingdom, a dominion that will never end, a rule that he won back by sacrificing himself. Is that your longing today? You know, the first question in Westminster's catechism is, is what is the chief end of man? Why? Why? chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy his presence forever. So we we glorify God on this earth and then we get to enjoy his presence forever. Is that your longing today? If it is, then you'll understand grace. You'll understand the covenant that God has established. If it is not your longing, then I invite you to make it your longing. With everything that you are, everything that you do, all the gifting and talent that you have, glorify God. Make his name known. Go ahead and stand up with me as we pray. Can I have my uh, counselors come? My prayer team? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this word. We thank you for your message this morning, God. Lord, write it on our hearts. Transform us today into your image so that we can glorify you, that we can reflect your glory. Let us submit ourselves. Let us not retain that which is not ours, but let us give it back. We thank you for your grace.
and we just have it etched in our heart that the goal of grace is for your name's sake. For your name's sake. We just thank you for your word. Just etch it into our hearts this morning. And give us an opportunity to share our faith this week. I just pray over everybody in this congregation. Lord, that they will have divine opportunity to share their faith and to glorify your name in some way this week. Give them divine appointment right now in Jesus' name. Use us for your kingdom and your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.